This is the Master Marketer Show, powered by Proofpoint Marketing. Each week, we explore the mindsets, skill sets, and tool sets the top B2B marketers use to drive results. Gain actionable insights, one masterful, revenue-generating success story at a time. Let's get started. Everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Master Marketer Show. I have Lauren Lynch here with me today, and Lauren is direct, director of marketing at Set Solutions. Uh, and we're not going to be talking about cybersecurity, at least I don't think in particular. But we are going to be talking about branding and podcasting and all that other fun stuff that comes along with it. So, Lauren, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So, you know, before we jumped on, we we're kind of talking about. Uh, how you started with the podcast at Set Solutions. And there's some interesting stuff to dive into. And I think where I'd like to kick things off is branding is, you know, it's a big investment. It generally takes a while to pay off, all that kind of stuff. And most companies don't have the kinds of budgets to build a studio like the one you're sitting in and things like that. And you've, really, I think, done a really creative thing here in terms of how to fund it. And that's where I'd love to focus our conversation. So maybe before we dive into kind of the tactics of what you did, uh, kind of leave that on a cliffhanger maybe a bit for people listening. Let's talk about mindsets. How do you, as a sole marketer, you're the only marketer on the team uh, at this organization, how do you think about brand and how do you pitch branding activities to leadership? Um, so I'm very fortunate that I did come into an organization that was already pretty focused on their brand. Um, they did a big refresh right before I came. I think they did that 2017 and I joined in 2019. Um, so thankfully I did have a boss who very much believed in the brand. He, he did want to invest more time in branding. But when I came over, the role was actually primarily field marketing. Most of the things that we did were in person with our customers and prospects. Um, when that all changed, as it changed for a lot of people, was COVID. Um, so as soon as everything shut down and my primary function we couldn't do anymore, uh, we switched hardcore into branding and content and digital and all of that. Um, so getting started was a very easy sell. Um, to kick off a podcast actually isn't that much in the grand scheme of things. It's a couple of mics. Um, maybe you pay 20 bucks to distribute the podcast. Um, but as it evolved, as we came out of lockdown and as we started to say, hey, you know, we were really seeing something from the show. We'd like to invest more in it. Uh, that was where we kind of started seeing the pushback of, OK, now we're moving into a studio space. Now we're investing a lot in equipment. Um, so I, I really fortunately didn't start facing pushback until we got to about that point. So, I mean, let's, let's talk about the awesome studio you're sitting in. Mm -hmm. Um, how did you, I guess maybe two questions. One is what was the impetus about, Hey, let's build a studio. Let's invest, whatever. Mm -hmm. I forget exactly what you told me, but 20, 30 grand is pretty common. Mm -hmm. Um, you know. How did, what was the impetus about uh, behind saying, hey, we need a studio? Mm -hmm. I guess let's start there. Um, so it was really more of a matter of circumstance than anything else. Um, 
we built a new office space. We're in downtown Houston. And so we kind of had a corner of the office we were using. I had a sound wall. I had some DIY soundproofing. That was really, I guess, version like 2.0 of the podcast. So we graduated from everybody recording at home on Zoom to a small studio space that we were working out of. It, it was working. It got the job done. Um, we were already having some issues just with street noise. We were having some issues. The um, door to access the bathroom was back there. So we would have people, you know, come and, and close that door. Um, but then uh, the law firm that was behind us, they came back from lockdown. And the guy who owns that suite, he has his big TV that he takes his Zoom calls on right on the other side of that wall. Uh, so it went from, you know, small annoyances to we can't record back there anymore. We, we need to come up with something else. Um, so my CFO suggested a studio space. Um, we've got all sorts of little, you know, teeny tiny offices around the building that would be available. And from there, I said, great, we can get, you know, the studio at a really low cost, but we got to soundproof it. We've got to invest in lights and cameras and all that good stuff. Like if we're going to do this, we need to do it, you know? Um, so that was kind of how we got from, you know, 1.0 to 2.0 and I'm currently sitting in, in 3.0. Very nice. So let's, let's maybe take it uh, back to 1.0. You mentioned, you know, you had a sound wall, you did some DIY soundproofing. Mm -hmm. um, uh, talk us through um, again, kind of the mindset behind, okay, uh, how do you get this going? Well, um, when we initially kicked off, I, I guess even going back before COVID, you know, I, I started, I met my CTO day one. He said, Hey, I've been wanting to do a podcast. Uh, we picked a name. He'd gone on and recorded like a little intro on Fiverr. And I said, okay. So he already, sorry to interrupt. He, he, he already wanted to be doing the podcast. So you weren't, you weren't even selling the idea of mm -hmm. podcasting. He, um, so my CTO has his hands in a lot of different things. He actually runs his own cybersecurity conference down here for, for the whole Houston mm. area outside of his day job. Um, and he had done some podcasting in the past. He had an old show from several years before. So he was already all in. Um, and yeah, so he brought that to me day one. Um, I actually was new to field marketing. I'd come from a digital marketing background. So when I started day one, here's a conference we're going to next week. I said, okay, great. Well, we'll do your podcast. And then I immediately moved on to other things because I was, I was really just trying to figure out that new role. Um, so again, once, once lockdown happened, he picked up the phone and said, hey, we're not going anywhere. We're not doing anything. Now's the time to start this podcast. Um, he asked if I knew how to do it and I said, nope, but I'm sure we can figure it out. Lots of people have podcasts. So, uh, from there, just popped online, bought some mics, sent those to, to people's houses and figured out how to edit, figured out how to distribute. Um, so yeah, 1.0, it was, you know, kind of stumbling, kind of figuring it out, but, um, we had really great experience with it. We had lots of really great guests on in the cybersecurity space. Those were really well received. Um, and it was just a really good way to stay in front of our customers. So that initial getting started, that initial buy-in, that was that was easy. Got it. So um, let, let's maybe talk about strategy in that case. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the idea of podcasting was already there. Your CTO had already run a podcast before you mentioned. How did you decide on things like 
the name, the format, uh, that type of thing? Um, I mean, our format's not super unique. You know, we uh, start with some set solutions news, we roll into some news topics, and then we just kind of get, you know, we drill down into a main topic. So it wasn't anything groundbreaking, um, but enough to, you know, stay relevant, especially, especially starting with kind of the cybersecurity news of the week, breaches happen every day, things change every day, um, just to stay relevant. It made sense to start with that. And then to deep dive, like I said, we brought on lots of guests that are kind of like celebrities in the cybersecurity space. Um, we have a lot of really good connections. Set Solutions has been around for 30 years. And I mean, I think they've only been calling it cybersecurity for maybe a decade. Um, so they already had some pretty strong roots, you know, in this field and, and had some really good connections. Um, yeah. I mean, it's interesting though, because the format you're describing, yeah, sure, it's not. Uh, maybe unique, as you said, but it, uh, I think it's interesting that you landed on a, we'll call it a news style mm -hmm. type show. And I think, you know, and you did that because of the industry, yeah. it sounds like. Right? For, it's, for us, it makes like, a lot of sense. Um, I'm sure you see on your news feed, breaches hit every day. Um, so we absolutely want to make sure we, we definitely try not to, uh, you see a lot of folks in cyber that are ambulance chasing, a breach happens. It's yeah. like, all right, let's drop the email. Hey, don't let this happen to you. Um, whereas from our point of view, it's it's nice to take those, break that down. Okay, how did that happen? What can companies do to prepare? Because really the whole show is educational first and foremost. Mm -hmm. um, while I do have uh, our vendor partners on that come and, and talk about their product, overall the messaging is around, you know, general cybersecurity education. Sure, sure. And I mean, it sounds like you're, I mean, I checked out a couple episodes just scrolling through. Um, from what I can tell, I mean, you're providing a lot of nuance to, uh, you know, the, the news topic at hand, if you will, the latest breach and that kind of thing. Yeah. Yep. And that, and that makes sense. I mean, that's, to me, the expertise is shown in your ability to talk through the nuance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that was a, a huge point of starting the podcast, you know, when, when you can't get in front of people, um, unfortunately, you're left to things like thought leadership, which I, I know can be a buzzword for a lot of people in marketing. But in our case, we really do. Like I said, we've been around for a long time. We've been around longer than it's been called cybersecurity. So for us, it really is something that sets us apart from our competitors. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's talk about really quickly, um, the, the studio build out, if you will, um, what, uh, maybe just talk us through it in terms of costs. Did, did you do it internally? Did you hire people? That kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so really, I guess, um, the largest cost was the soundproofing. This is professionally done. Um, and it does make a huge difference. I have a uh, hallway full of tile out there and we can't hear people, you know, clacking around on heels and, and all that good stuff. Um, so that was around $15,000. That was definitely the biggest chunk. Um, some of our equipment and stuff we hadn't brought over, some of it was new. So we're, we're in several thousand dollars for the studio. Um, but I can tell you if you've gone back and listened to like episode one versus our episodes today, it is a night and day difference. Um, and then additionally, people are just, they're excited to come in and record. Right before uh, you hopped on, we brought in one of our guests to talk about what we're going to record um, in two weeks from now. 
and she wanted to come see the studio and check it out. And we've been showing our partners the studio. Like people are excited to come in and have a professional space to sit down and, and make content. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, we're seeing kind of this uh, uh, trend of creator studios cropping up where, you know, like the, the sweet fishes of the world are building, you know, building one out. You've got uh, companies that build out, you know, not just a studio, but actually like creator spaces with multiple studio environments mm -hmm. and things like that. Um, so I can, I can totally see why, uh, why somebody would be, uh, you know, investing in that and why other people would be interested in joining and things like that. Yeah. Um, if you're listening, you can't, you know, see what I have going on, but I've actually, I've got a, a branded logo behind me. This thing is cleated in so I can lift this up, cover the hole. And now anybody can come in here and record their own branded content. Um, we can swap that out, do new ones. Um, we could add stuff, maybe even pop-ups or something behind me. Um, but yeah, it was very much designed to where the space could be swapped in and out if other people wanted to use it. Do you ever bring in like, uh, I mean, you mentioned you bring on partners and things like that. Is that kind of part of the offering, if you will? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Cool. Well, let's, um, let's talk about uh, the, the nuts and bolts here. Cause again, you mentioned studio is expensive, mm -hmm. uh, et cetera. Uh, you had a really creative way of funding it. So maybe talk us through that and then we can get into some of the details there. Yeah. Um, so if, if you're listening and you're familiar with how channel marketing works, um, we're a reseller first and foremost. Um, I have over 350 different channel partners that I work with. Um, all of them work within different facets of cybersecurity and all of them have channel marketing dollars um, that are available to their resellers. Um, so those are typically MDF, marketing development funds, and we can use those to co-brand and co-sponsor customer facing things. Um, historically, they've mostly been for events. Um, so that is how we do a lot of our field marketing. Um, but as, and I especially saw this again, to keep going back to COVID, um, but when we no longer could do those events, we started funneling those dollars into things like paid ads and email campaigns and SDR campaigns. Um, we had started, you know, reallocating those dollars. And so when we did the studio build out, I did start running those numbers. It was adding up very quickly. Um, I was getting some pushback on that and, uh, thought, well, what if we can pay? For it? What if we can cover the cost? Um, we were already bringing on partners, I would say probably every other show, maybe every two or three shows, and then, you know, a solo episode. Um, so we were already giving them this coverage for, for free, for no cost. Um, so we thought, well, what if we tie some marketing dollars back into this, give them some skin in the game for the show, um, and we use that not only to pay for more paid ads to help grow the show, help give them the visibility that they're looking for, um, but also to help cover some of these studio costs. That's, I mean, again, to me, that's very creative and very fascinating because I think it speaks to what I believe marketing leaders need to be doing. It's really understanding the financials of the business and working with, you know, finance teams and whatnot. And I think coming up with, you know, I don't think any CFO wants to say no mm -hmm. to a good idea, but they have other constraints they're working under. Right. And I think as a marketer, you did an awesome job of saying, okay, I get it. 
let me come, let me come to you with a creative idea of how we can fund this so that, and then, you know, from there you can cash flow it and all that kind of fun mm -hmm. stuff. Um, so maybe talk through your thought process on, you know, maybe, I mean, it sounds like initially, correct me if I'm wrong, you came, you said, Hey, let's build a studio. Here's what's going to cost. And you got some initial pushback. Mm -hmm. is, that, is that about how it happened? Yeah. Yeah, it was. Um, so, and, and I had the conversation before. I mean, again, I mentioned I, when I came over here, this was the first time I had worked with a channel program really at all. Um, so I wasn't familiar with it. Um, I remember when it, the concept of MDF was first introduced to me, I was like, you want me to just go ask these people for money? Um, <laughs> and I was very surprised when I, I didn't really have to ask. They were coming to me saying, hey, we want to do more with you. We have a bucket of dollars. What can we do together? Um, so that was... Was that happening before the studio or, oh, yeah. or before the podcast or after? Yeah. That was, okay. um, like I said, just very, very new to working with a channel. Uh, so that was kind of day one stuff. Um, people were introducing themselves to me and following it up with, hey, let's schedule a meeting. I got some dollars I want to use with you guys. Let's talk about how we can do that. Um, so that part I knew was was going to be very easy. Um, from there, I mean, like I mentioned, we were already bringing them on. We were already adding value to them. So I didn't think it would be that big of a leap to ask, you know, hey, would you mind throwing some dollars at this so we can continue to work on the podcast? And I actually, what I ended up coming up with, um, I had our big, you know, holiday party at the end of the year where we bring all of our channel partners out to, you know, just kind of thank them for a great year. And I actually had a pricing sheet there when they got there. So it had um, dollar amounts tied to podcasts and webinars and a handful of other forms of digital media. And I'm very clear on there about what's covered as well. Like, hey, some of these dollars will go to studio costs, but the other half of those dollars are going to go towards paid marketing. And I will send you results for that. Um, at the end of the day, I absolutely want this to be beneficial for everyone involved. So it's not just, hey, help me pay for a studio. Hey, help me generate more content to help us both out, you know? So let me ask you one quick tactical question and then I uh, want to dive into a few other things. So how quickly did you uh, whatever, break even or pay back on the on the studio costs? Oh, we just started this. So it'll take me 15 oh, okay. episodes to pay back the studio. Got it. 15 episodes and you're releasing episodes how often? Every two weeks. Got it. Mm -hmm. So roughly seven and a half mm -hmm. months we're talking, yeah. which is pretty good. Yeah, it's, it's not bad. Like I said, I, I laid that all out for the executive team before we moved forward and pulled the trigger on this. So, Very nice. And you, you, do you already have commitment for those episodes at this point? I do. I have meetings. Episodes at yep. this point? We, um, so we are leaving for our sales kickoff next week. But when we return, I've got three meetings lined up to start talking about podcasts. So, Very cool. Very cool. So, you know, you're... you're you're definitely not the first uh, or last person that's never worked with MDF funds that comes in an organization that all of a sudden has channel dollars. Um, maybe let's talk about uh, mindsets in terms of, okay, you're coming in. Let's, how, how do you, how should one be thinking about uh, their available MDF funds? And I, maybe I'll clarify or, qualify that a bit is the typical things are things you mentioned initially. It's like, it's paid ads mm -hmm. and that's the one that's almost most often covered. Mm -hmm. But again, I, I love how you got creative with it. So maybe talk through 
thought process and things like that? Like what, what should people be doing or thinking about as they are coming in an environment like that? Um, so I think first thing you should consider, and if it is brand new to you, you'll want to talk to sales to kind of figure this out. You really want to consider who you're actually selling. Um, a big thing that I learned very quickly is I did not want to take dollars from people that I did not think I could then show results for. Um, so lots of people, they have the dollars, they kind of wanted the brand recognition with set solutions, um, but maybe their tool isn't ready for enterprise yet, which is our target audience, or a, a million different reasons as to why we're maybe not selling them as much. Um, so I think that's the first thing you need to be very careful with because I didn't know that coming in. So it was always an awkward conversation of, you know, you've given us some dollars. We haven't really seen what we're looking for with that. Um, second, I think uh, just talking to them about what exactly them being your, your channel partners, what do they have to offer with those funds? Um, something a lot of teams have that I don't have here at Set Solutions is they have a third party SDR team that they can use to just dial for dollars and set meetings. Um, so for a lot of those, I didn't even have to go through the back end, you know, re have them reimburse me for marketing dollars or whatever. We just said, okay, those MVF funds, they're tied to uh, set solutions. You're just gonna set everything up on your end. It's really hands-off for me. And we sell meetings come from those. Um, and, and additional campaigns, not just those, they ran some um, meeting makers for us where, you know, you, you get something in return. Uh, they have lots of things already set up on their end. And especially if you're a one person marketing team, it's really nice to just be able to say, yep, here's my logo. Here's a quick blurb you can use. Y'all just run it. It's already done on your team and you've already got those dollars dedicated to it. Um, and then from there, I would just say to get really close to your channel managers and your field marketing teams. Um, a lot of times, especially in the beginning when I was trying to figure out what events worked, what you know works for our audience, they've already done this. They're doing it with other partners. And so we're like a, a regional firm, but they're working with big national partners as well. So they can come to you and say, hey, this actually worked really well in the Northwest. Let's try it here. Um, so they have a lot of insight of what has worked with your customer base, even if it wasn't with you. Um, they usually have some good ideas of how to put those to use. Yeah, that, that last one's a really good point. That's that's a lesson I learned. I, again, I haven't worked in MDF funds for a while, but I think just in general, the mindset of, I think a lot of people come into these type of MDF relationships almost like adversarial. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, it's me versus them. I, I got to I gotta win these dollars before they go somewhere else. And then, you know, all this kind of stuff versus, which... Yeah, there's a component of that, but I like how you're thinking about it in terms of, well, let's just, let's literally use this as a partnership. Let me ask them, you know, what's worked and what hasn't. And I think that's, that's brilliant. And a lot, I, I would say most probably don't do that or take advantage of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, we, um, like I said, we have a lot of partners, but the cybersecurity world is actually very, very small. Um, a lot of these people, they have worked with each other at the last two or three firms that they've worked at. Um, so it's very, very important to nurture those relationships, treat those relationships well, because they will hop to a new vendor and they'll remember how things worked out when they worked with you. Very cool. So um, let's talk about skill sets. As you mentioned, you, I mean, I'm 
my understanding from what you've described is you'd never built out a studio before you hadn't, you know, hosted or, uh, uh, managed a podcast before. Um, if somebody wants to get to where you are right now, what, what do they need to know? What kinds of things do they need to be thinking through, working on, et cetera? Um, well, I, I think one of the best skill sets anyone can have in any role is the ability to Google and figure things out. Um, that has come in handy for way more of my marketing career than it probably should have, but that's how a lot of people get to where they are. Um, as far as actually just genuinely like podcast 101, how you get started, um, there's actually a really great resource I listen to. It is a podcast called The Podcast on Podcasting. It's by a guy named Adam Adams. Um, and he has tons of really great free resources. He's got a one pager kind of link on affordable podcast equipment. So a $20 mic just to, to get you started. Um, from there, as far as recording, there's lots and lots of free tools that you can use. Um, I had experience with Adobe products already, so that's what I use, but there's tons of AI that you can use that will make it really quick for you. Um, there's some paid services you can use, or again, lots of free tools that you can use online to do your editing. And then from there, distribution is actually a lot easier than I, I thought it would be. I'm not sure what you use to distribute yours, um, but we use a system called Buzzsprout and it's just super easy. I upload it, I upload my show notes, uh, hit publish, and then it goes out to all of the podcasting platforms. Um, so anybody who just wants to get started, which I would absolutely recommend, I would not recommend waiting until you have something perfect completely built out. Um, podcasting is still relatively young, but people are adding more and more shows every single day. So I definitely think you wanna get in sooner rather than later. Um, but yeah, actual, you know, production and getting your first handful of episodes out, it just requires a few steps. Were you doing, when you were starting out, were you doing all the production or were you outsourcing or partnering with somebody? I was doing all of that myself, yeah. Which again, yeah, it was, and... um, I picked up a, a Udemy course and figured out how to how to do editing. So it, the the resources are out there if you need it. Yep. For sure. And what about, what about now? Are you still doing any of the post-production or are you, is that something being managed externally at this point? I'm still doing all of it myself. I am looking to hire someone to take over a large chunk of just digital marketing total. Um, but that would include all of the, the podcasts as well. Very cool. What, uh, for anybody listening, you want to give a quick pitch on who you're looking for? Yeah, uh, I am looking for someone who can do a little bit of everything. Um, I'm looking for someone who can do a little bit of graphics work, um, not super custom, just, you know, Canva, those sort of things to get social content out, um, some some editing. But the most important thing I think would be someone who can project manage and organize. It's a lot of content that we need to push out. So someone who can help me get all of that under control. Uh, work with our subject matter experts internally because all of our content that we push out is from our own folks. Um, yeah, looking for a digital media specialist if someone's out there. All right. If anyone's listening and you want to have access to this awesome studio that Lauren's got, mm -hmm. you know who to reach out to. Uh, awesome. So um, I like what you mentioned, it, you know, in terms of just getting started. I, I totally agree. There's resources out there. Uh, I think we're generally, we see people get scared is, okay, well, 
what equipment's expensive? How do I use it? This, that, and the other. What kind of camera do I need? What kind of lighting do I need? What kind of microphone? Uh, yeah, they most people generally still, I think, think that distribution is more difficult. Mm -hmm. I think that the traditional podcast distribution, I, I, we use we use Transistor, same thing, mm -hmm. just pushes everything out. Um, I think where things get a little more complex is more of what you, know, you, what you all are doing, what we're doing is doing the post-production, getting it on a YouTube, optimizing the YouTube channel, mm -hmm. you know, all those things, that's where you need more time and resources and skills, if you will. Mm -hmm. But for sure, if you're just going to do audio or if you're just going to start with just audio, yeah, that's much quicker to just get mm -hmm. started. Yeah, totally agree. Um, so talk about, um, Results. I mean, obviously, we've you already mentioned. You know, the studio is going to be paid for within you know, seven, eight months. Um, you've been running the, the show for quite a while now, though. Um, let's talk about that. I mean, what what have you tangibly seen from those efforts? I was surprised. I thought I would see most of my results from downloads, uh, podcast downloads, which we see a good amount of those. Um, that's not something I'm sure, you know, that's not quite as easy to track. It'll give you some general information about where they're coming from, but you're not pulling names and emails from, from podcast downloads. Yeah. Um, where we've seen way more engagement than I anticipated is actually on LinkedIn. So we typically live stream them. Um, and while I don't have a ton of people on live, I'll see six, seven, 800 views afterwards from the replays as people are finding it online. Um, so that's where we're seeing a lot of engagement. And then as far as actual results in the business, um, I mean, as we're just talking to folks, as we're, you know, talking about, you know, maybe new parts of their security posture that we need to look at, they'll mention like, oh yeah, I was listening to the podcast and I heard you guys talking about that the other day. Um, it's even helped drive some of our episodes. So, uh, for example, we've done two episodes now on cybersecurity insurance. Um, that's not a product we offer. That is not something we sell. Um, but it is something that one of our customers was actually asking us about. So while we were starting that content for them just for, you know, general education, it was like, well, if they've got a question about it, other people probably have a question about it. Um, so we've done a handful of episodes on those that were really well received. Um, so we're we're seeing the engagement and we're, we're seeing people talk about it. Um, something that I have run into, you know, going back to MDFs and, and what that should look like. You always want to provide results, right? Um, I do have a lot of people asking, you know, well, how do we, how do we track this? Like we don't pull, you know, emails and, and other things from um, the podcast. How do we know the value we're getting out of it? And that's why we're going to start running those paid ads alongside that just for a little more concrete information around who's seeing it and, and where those eyeballs are, I guess, ears, listeners are coming from. Yep. I mean, we're, um, what, that's one of the questions I was I had for you, which is what type of data are you reporting on from an MDF perspective? Cause I know a lot of them, I mean, with the ads, it's simple. It's how many impressions, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yep. But uh, are you pulling any other information in terms of like, are you providing them with download numbers? Or are you, providing them with any the organic engagement from mm -hmm. LinkedIn or YouTube. Yes. So for the show specifically, that is the type of information that I'm pulling for them and sharing. Um, it, it really just depends on the activity that we're doing as far as what kind of information I give back to them. 
Um, so for events, obviously we've got, you know, solid lead lists because it's actually people that attended. Whereas if it is something like a webinar or a video or a podcast, we're more just pulling engagement metrics for them. Um, but it, like I said, as long as we are adding value, those are the people that we're going to continue working with and continue to run different, you know, marketing things with, um, just to make sure that, I guess, again, what I'm saying is I want to make sure that the relationship is working for both of us. So always want to make sure that we can back up whatever that activity is with some form of metrics to, to follow up on. Yeah. Um, I want to go back really quickly to something you said around um, cybersecurity insurance. When you were running those episodes, were you bringing in uh, like external experts to talk about that or is that still all internal? Yeah. Um, so we, I mean, we bring in external experts all the time to talk about stuff. Um, for this one specifically, we brought in our own insurance agent that we use for cybersecurity insurance. Um, we also followed it up with another episode um, also not a service we offer, but there is actually such a thing as cybersecurity breach negotiators that will negotiate with attackers to try to get like, they've got your data, there's no getting out of this, let's see if we can just get the ransom down. Um, so we had a follow-up episode with with that guy and he has his own business that, that handles that. It's not something we offer, but he's absolutely an expert in it and it's a very interesting topic. Yeah. That, that's, I mean, the topic's just fascinating on its own, but um, I think it's great that you're doing that. And I think for, for from our perspective, that's where I think it's, it's a very often a missed opportunity where when I see podcasts or webinars or any of that kind of stuff, it seems to go, okay, we just want to talk to, it's either we're just going to do thought leadership and it's just going to be our own people. We're going to talk about ourselves which is important, don't get me wrong, or it's going to be, well, we only want to talk to our, you know, decision makers. We want to talk to CEOs and CFOs, CTOs, whoever your target is, right? And we just want to do a kind of guest segments and that's it. Um, and I think the part that's often missed is all these influencers and these tangential related spaces, like in your case, insurance and negotiation and uh, all that kind of stuff. Um, cause these people can very much influence buying decisions indirectly or sometimes directly, even, right? I mean, your insurance broker or somebody else's insurance broker can go, Hey, you should talk to, you know, set solutions mm -hmm. about X, Y, Z. Yeah. I mean, we actually have a lot of influencers in the cybersecurity space. Again, it's, it's such a young interest industry that there are a lot of people that are firsts, people that, um, you know, started new tools or discovered different uh, ways of managing technology. Um, so for example, we've got um, the guy who wrote the uh, Pentester's Blueprint book. It's kind of like the 101 for hackers and, and how to get started as a certified ethical hacker. Um, we've got people that have founded companies of a lot of our, our vendor partners that we work with. Um, and then we, we haven't had him on yet, but we did have him speak at uh, a lunch and learn that we hosted. Um, the guy who came up with the zero trust concept as, you know, as a technology. So working with those has been really great, not only because they have really great information. I mean, all of these guys are really, really smart, um, but also they share to their platforms and they have a very, very wide audience. So that has worked out in our favor. Yeah. So from a 
maybe like tangible business results perspective, are there, I mean, you kind of mentioned, you know, people saying, Hey, I heard you talk about this on the show. Are there any, you know, however much you're willing, willing to be able to share, like mm -hmm. any tangible numbers in terms of, you know, either growth rates or, um, uh, you know, at, attribution to sort of this effort, if you will? Mm, I don't really have any solid numbers, I guess, tied to deals specifically. Um, but I, I did just put together a presentation, as I mentioned, our sales kickoff is next week. Um, we've seen organic engagement explode. So we've taken on, you know, a couple thousand new followers. Um, our visitors have skyrocketed like 200% or something on LinkedIn. Um, so we have definitely seen the results from the engagement and the people that are looking at us. Very nice. What would you say is th through this whole experience uh, has been something that surprised you the most? I guess I, even though I've talked to lots of my partners about MDF dollars and, and how to use it, I think I was still pretty surprised that people were so on board to, to jump on and do this with us. Um, you know, before when we were doing it for free, I actually had vendors ask me a couple of times like, oh, okay, we'd love to do the podcast. What does it cost? And then we're surprised when I told them, oh no, we just, you know, we're working on content. We'd love to have you on. Um, so I, I did have some of that before I started, you know, adding pricing to these essentially. Um, was still a little hesitant, a little nervous about how they would react. And uh, everybody's been great. They're very excited to do it. Like I said, we've got a few meetings lined up to start talking about content and topics. Um, so very pleasantly surprised that that's worked out as well as it has. Very cool. Um, last but not least, let's talk tools. So any, any thing that you have found to be, uh, I don't know, maybe incredibly useful that you wouldn't have thought of uh, as you were starting this out mm. from a tools perspective. And I, I use the word tools very loosely. So it could be actual tech mm -hmm. or it could be a process or a, a documentation of some sort or a course or I don't know, anything. Yeah. So um, as far as a tool, I did mention that podcast on podcasting. That's been very helpful. Um, they talk to a lot of guests that are running their own shows and talk about how they do stuff. Um, and then I think DIY will get you a little further than you think. Um, so when we kind of first started out in our office, you know, when we first moved from at home to in the office, um, I was making my own like soundboards and stuff I was putting in the windows and um, we were kind of, you know, rigging up lights and stuff on my own. Um, and I was very worried about how it would look, how it would sound. And it, it really wasn't bad. So I, again, I think just getting started is the most important part. So even as we transition and as we grew into kind of this 3.0 version, um, a lot of the tools that I was using that I had just learned from YouTube or, or other you know, things that I'd seen online, but they got us pretty far. And if we, you know, we probably still could have worked with that space if we absolutely needed to. Um, so I think don't discount, even if it does feel like what you're putting together is, is a little rickety, not quite as polished as you'd like. Um, they, they still do the job. Very nice. Um, all right. Well, I think you shared a lot of great insights. I think, uh, 
core thing is, as we hear quite often on the show, is just get started. You kind of ended with, you know, DIY will get you further than you think. Um, and again, I think a lot of folks will, it's sort of this, I don't know if it's the fear of the camera or what, it's just, just get started, start putting it out and you can always scale up, if you will, from there, both in terms of production value and quality of interviewing and all those types of things. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, let's jump into the lightning round. First question, what's the main KPI you use to evaluate marketing success? Um, I guess for now that would be engagement is what we're using. What is something new you're looking forward to testing out next year or this year? We're still at the beginning of the year. Right. Um, something. Oh, um, so my 4.0 dreams for this space is uh, multicam to run it as an actual like live show. So not quite there yet. Nice. I would love to add that element to the show. Is that something you're you're thinking for for this year? I think so. If I can get some help in here, I've you know I've got people that. The people that help me set up the audio equipment and stuff in here, you know, they very easily can help me transition to additional camera work as well. So very cool. Yeah, I've I've been meaning to actually this is supposed to be rapid, but I've been meaning to start testing out just some basic multicam stuff yeah. just in my little setup here too. So I feel you on that one. All right. Uh what is a marketing best practice in quotes mm -hmm. that you think it shouldn't be a thing anymore? Hmm. Marketing best practice. Um, hmm. What do people normally say? I guess another another way to phrase that question is, what is something that's commonly done out there in marketing that you just vehemently disagree with? Hmm. I think for specifically someone in my industry, I think it's farming out your content. Um, it's just way too specific. You need subject matter experts for things to make sense and, and for your audience to understand them. Your audience is very technical. You're not going to get to them with just some generic boilerplate copy. You need to know what you're talking about. Yeah. And it, I'm assuming you're specifically talking about the the actual content creation, not like the say post-production and things like that. Right. Right. The, the quality of who is delivering that message and what they're talking about. So writing our blogs and stuff, um, doing our videos, you know, we, we do all of the production stuff on the back end for them, but the actual content of what they're talking about, I work with a team of really, really smart cybersecurity consultants, sales architects, like, those are the guys that our audience wants to hear from. Yep. Totally. Uh, what is your least favorite business word or phrase? Hmm. Where's my least favorite? I want to say there was one we were just talking about the other day that was very annoying. I 
I don't know, so many are coming to mind, but I don't know that they necessarily get on my nerves. You know, we'll follow up. We'll put a pin in that. We'll circle back on that. Okay, that, that one really, that one grates on me. Put a pin in it. Oh, really? Even though I, I've started saying it, I've caught myself doing it because it's so common these days, but I, I don't know, for whatever reason, it really just bothers me. No, you know what it was? It was um, double click on that. Let's double click. Oh, that one's even worse. I, I hate like, that I one. I don't know what you mean by that. <laughs> <laughs> There's a podcast, like, there's a few podcasts that I listen to commonly and the, the interviewer always says, well, let's double click on that. I'm like, can we not? Can we not do that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe let's we not. just dive deeper, use real words. <laughs> not, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, what is your favorite business or marketing book? Um, hmm. That would probably be, oh, Atomic Habits. Um, I've just recently reread that one, um, and I'm trying to remember who it was now. Very famous, but Atomic Habits, most people have read it. It's, it's up there. Yeah, that one's a good one. I like that one. I'm try I can't remember the guy's name either, though. Um, all right. Uh, some. This one's more about you in particular. Uh, what is something that the people you work with wouldn't know about you yet. Something fun. Hmm. Well, they, they might guess this. Um, I did just finish a large remodel, um, but I'm actually very into uh, older homes and older architecture. If I wasn't doing this, I think I would really love to help save and preserve old buildings and, and older homes. Um, we're actually in a very cool building downtown. It was built in the 1940s, and there's tons of original features still left. Um, yeah, that's something I really enjoy outside of work. Very cool. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Yeah, we uh, uh, we work with a client. They're, uh, they're an engineering firm in, in, out in Baltimore, and they uh, their office is in an old theater. Oh, nice. Which is really cool. Mm -hmm. So they have, like, like, the stage was the stage, and then they've got these, like, uh, like the the old like I don't I think it's like like 1920s or something mm -hmm. you know like the flourishes and whatever in the ceiling and that kind of stuff that's so. really cool yeah awesome well Lauren thanks for playing along and thank you for all the insights where can people find you if they want to ask you some questions yeah um I accept everyone on LinkedIn so you can find me on LinkedIn Lauren Lynch um I'm on pretty much everything as Lauren Lynch, so you can find me there, but LinkedIn is preferred. Awesome. Well, thanks, Lauren. Oh, and as a reminder for anybody that was listening, Lauren's hiring. So yes. yep. if you're for a digital marketing content company. marketer, creative, et cetera, she might have use for you. Yep. All righty. Well, thanks, Lauren. Appreciate you being on the show. Great. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on another episode of the Master Marketer Show. We'll be back next week with more B2B marketing success stories. Visit our website, www.proofpoint.marketing, for the full episode library complete with show notes, guides, templates, and more. Make sure to follow Proofpoint Marketing on LinkedIn and YouTube so you never miss an episode. Listen every Wednesday wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time.